Casper is sponsoring this episode of Industry Focus. Get $50 off your mattress when you go to casper.com slash fool and enter promo code fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. Today is June 7th, and our sector du jour is healthcare. As usual, I am joined via phone by Todd Campbell, who writes for Fool.com. Todd, how is life up in New Hampshire? The sun has uh, emerged, finally. And, um, you know, I'm sitting in here prepping for the show uh, and and looking outside and going, boy, I wish wish for once now I was outside. I mean, the last few days, it's just been rainy and gross. Well, sorry to be keeping you in here for the next 20 minutes, but hopefully afterwards you can go catch some rays. Absolutely, absolutely. And Christine, have you been doing your... um, your linguistic somersaults in, in preparation for, for today's show? Uh, I've been trying. Um, I am trying on the side to learn some Greek, and I feel like pronouncing some words in Greek that I've never seen before might actually be easier than pronouncing these pseudo-English drug names. <laughs> you know, whenever we talk about clinical stage drugs, especially in an oncology, uh, I always have to lead with, please, uh, uh, listeners, I apologize ahead of time. I'm sure that I, I will butcher at least one or, one of these names. But we will do our best, and we've already decided that we're going to go with nicknames where possible. <laughs> so as we've started to mention already, we're going to be talking about a lot of drugs that are so early stage that they don't even have a pretty fancy name yet. You know, once once a drug hits a certain point and it's going to make it to market, that's when you get your nice names like Humira that everybody can say. But before that, when it's still in the clinic, it has a scientific name. And so today we are talking about some of these early stage compounds that are being developed by various companies working in the oncology space because we just wrapped up the, by we, I mean, not actually the Motley Fool, but the ASCO, which is the American Society of Clinical Oncology just wrapped up its annual meeting in Chicago, which they held between June 2nd and 6th. And this is a pretty big deal. This conference has over 30,000 people at it each year. It's cancer researchers, investors, biopharma executives, policy experts, pretty much everybody from all uh, different parts of the biotech scene convene in Chicago, and you hear a lot of new data reports on drugs that you might not know the latest on yet. You know, a lot of companies will wait for ASCO to report on some exciting news that they have. So today, we figured we would highlight three companies who had exciting news to report. You know, I would say, Christine, this is kind of like the playoffs, you know, if you're into sports knowledge, say the playoffs of, of oncology re- research. I mean, this is this is a big deal, and in, 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 from an investing standpoint, you know, stocks in biotech uh, that are working on cancer drugs, they'll start to rise weeks ahead of time uh, before the conference. And then when the abstracts hit, um, they could pop or drop or trade all over the map. And then even in the, in the months following, you know, as as industry participants are, are considering what they saw at ASCO, you know, the stocks can move higher or lower as well. So, you know, every year investors should be paying attention to what's happening at ASCO. And I, I think for a few years in a row now, we've we've kind of tried to to keep people up to date on some of the things that are happening. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting coming at ASCO is that you know most of the drugs that really caught my eye, I mean, they were all part of this kind of shift towards precision medicine. This whole concept of being able to say, okay, how can we better, how can we how can we screen patients to determine if they have specific uh, genetic 
abnormalities or whatever to be and then use that information to better target cancer cells with cancer killing agents and today we're going to be talking about you know an anti bcma uh, car t we're going to be talking about an anti cd20 and we're going to be talking about a trk fusion drug as well so it's it's definitely going to be an interesting show for us yeah you're laying on the acronyms already Bear with us, I, I listeners. Know, I've got to we'll, get my practice in. we'll do our best to explain what exactly we're talking about and keep things very digestible. So, the first company that we want to highlight is called Bluebird Bio. And this is a company that is despised by all of the Motley Fool's copy editors because they do not capitalize their company name. I know. And every time I write, uh, I, I figure I'm getting a 50 50 chance of getting it through there with a the lowercase. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting company, and um, they just reported some, you know, I'm going to say it's pretty pretty remarkable data in multiple myeloma at ASCO that took a lot of people by surprise and sent shares, you know, I don't want to say to the moon, but boy, they rocketed higher. Yeah, so this was about a drug called BB2121, which I feel like we can pronounce that one all right. Um, this is a CAR-T therapy uh, that is, as you mentioned, directed towards multiple myeloma patients, and they reported a 100% response rate in 15 out of 15 of these patients that they were studying, and 73 of those were complete or very good partial responses, and because it was only 15 patients, this is a very early stage result. It was just phase one, but this is a truly remarkable result because these patients had failed on a median of seven prior therapies. So they were at a point where there really wasn't much hope left. And then this drug comes along and produces what really is an astonishingly good result. Yeah, it's. I think that that's, that's really why people got so excited because it's not like we're talking about a patient population that has a whole lot of other uh, competing treatment options. You know, th these patients are heavily pretreated. They... I think it was uh, a, a quarter of them or more uh, had failed, tried and failed on on the five leading drugs that are used in this indication, you know, Revlimid and Pomalis and Darzalex uh, and Velcade. So being able to to use this new approach, it's a gene therapy, we'll explain that in a second, uh, use this new approach to better find and destroy cancer and, and deliver 100% response rates. That's that's pretty impressive. I mean, 73% of, of patients, again, it's a small patient pool, so take that with a grain of salt, had a very good partial response or better. And 27% were complete responders. Again, fairly remarkable considering how heavily pretreated this group was. And another important point in the data was that the side effect profile looked pretty manageable, which is super important for CAR-Ts. We've seen as a broader class that these drugs have struggled with some patient deaths due to the therapies actually being almost too effective and, and triggering these negative side effects. But so far with BB2121, it looks pretty good. Yeah, and this is the first data that I, I remember seeing, Christine, on um, in multiple myeloma for the CAR-Ts. Um, you know, I, we've seen obviously lymphoma and, and leukemia. Uh, trial results at other companies uh, be released, but th this is the first one I can remember for multiple myeloma. And what's what's really intriguing to me about it is that you know they use a slightly different approach. You know, in in BB two one two one, what they're doing is they're they're targeting a cell surface pro uh, protein called BCMA, 
And that protein is really only expressed by plasma cells and most multiple myeloma cells. So that might be one of the reasons why the side effect profile looks kind of good because you know there's, there's maybe not a lot of off-target activity going on. I mean, there were a lot of cytokine release <clears throat> syndrome cases. I mean, that's pretty common in CAR-T as, as you and I have discussed on the show previously. I mean, you know, obviously if you're killing off a lot of cells, uh, uh, bad cells, it's gonna cause some some other unintended consequences in, in your body that need to be addressed. Um, but yeah, this is a very intriguing drug and, and perhaps most intriguing because it's partnered up on the drug with the market share leader in the indication. Yep, that was going to be exactly what I was going to follow up with, which this drug is partnered with Celgene. And we know that Celgene is very, very good at marketing drugs in this indication. They have Revlimid, which Todd, you already mentioned. That drug dominates the first and the second line in this indication. It brings in $7 billion a year. They have Pomalist, which is growing in use in the third line setting and also brings in a billion dollars a year. So this is a company that knows this space very well, already has the relationships with the doctors and should hopefully, if this drug makes it past approval, be able to get it to as, as many people as are eligible for the drug as possible. If you are looking for a partner in multiple myeloma, you cannot do better than Celgene. I mean, yeah. it, it's just, bar none, they're they the dominant force. They've had plenty of experience running trials that can pass the gauntlet at the FDA. Uh, and obviously, they're, they're proven their ability to, to, to generate commercial successes. And, you know, if that getting the cart in front of the horse, right, this is phase one small trial, right? But if they're able to get this drug on the market someday, Bluebird could come out, you know, nicely ahead because it has the chance to both, like, it, it can either sit back and collect royalties or it can co-commercialize the drug with Celgene, in which case, you know, you're splitting the profit. Absolutely. This episode of Motley Fool Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. My friend Emily purchased a Casper mattress and she loves it. She says it was great to not have to bother going into a store and laying down awkwardly on a bunch of mattresses that a thousand other people have also laid on and then after that haggle with a salesperson. Instead, she had a great delivery experience and a stress-free return window of 100 days to make sure it was the right mattress for her. Returns and shipping are free in the U.S. and Canada, and you can save an additional $50 towards a mattress purchase by going to casper.com fool and entering the promo code fool. That is casper.com fool, and the promo code is fool. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Todd, moving on past Bluebird, let's talk about another company that caught our eye. This one is TG Therapeutics. Their ticker is TGTX. Yeah, Bluebird obviously is the bigger uh, of all three of these companies. The, the next two that we're talking about, including TG Therapeutics, they're relatively small. They're, they're riskier. They maybe have smaller uh, drug pipelines. So investors should be aware um, that they, they maybe carry a little bit more risk. I mean, all, all things considered, there's a risky space altogether, but you know they may carry a little bit more risk. Yeah, I mean, you take Never... one look at the TG Therapeutics stock chart, even from the beginning of the year, and it's been bouncing all over the place. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's basically a bucking bronco, and um, you, you know you have to be very cautious whenever you're looking at any clinical trial results, uh, even if they're presented at ASCO, right? Because we do know, and we've said it time and time again, that the majority of clinical trials do end up failing, and just because you make it to phase three trials, 
um, doesn't mean that you're going to succeed. About 40% of phase three trials still come up short. So you always have to um, take all of this data with a grain of salt. That being said, TG Therapeutics might be onto something pretty good here. Right. So they reported some data in March about their drug that they're developing called TG1101. And they at ASCO provided a little bit more detail, which looked extremely promising in treating uh, high risk chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Yeah, what's interesting is that the, the, the most common and most successful drug that's being used to treat patients uh, with this indication right now is Imbrovica, which is a, a billion dollar blockbuster drug that's co-marketed by Johnson & Johnson and AbbVie. And what TG Therapeutics found is if they take their anti-CD20 drug, right, TG1101, and they pair it up with Imbrovica, they can significantly improve the overall response rate within patients that have certain very high-risk mutations. All right, and so I want to take a moment here to talk about the different endpoints in trials. So we've mentioned, uh, you just said uh, overall response rate, and so that's a little bit different than some other uh, measurements that we talk about. So just to lay them all out, and then we'll talk about why this actually matters. So there is overall survival, that's often abbreviated OS, that's the gold standard. That is a measure of how much longer patients live who take the drug as compared with patients that are taking a different drug. And this can take years, potentially, um, especially as these medicines become more precise, as you were mentioning, Todd. You know, you get smaller and smaller genetically defined patient pools. So it can take a while to get data from this. So there are other endpoints that you will sometimes look at, uh, such as ORR, which is your overall response rate. And that is just how many people had their tumor size reduced. There's also PFS, which is progression-free survival, and that's how long a drug can prevent the cancer from getting worse. And so these are important because they can shorten your trial duration and get drugs to market sooner. So in looking at the data for TG1101, you're looking at ORR, which is not the gold standard. That's not overall survival, but it is still a pretty important measurement. Yeah, because it gives an indication of it the, of the efficacy, right? And the reality is that, unfortunately, a lot of people are passing away every day because they have cancer. And you don't want to, you got to balance getting these drugs into patients' hands quickly um, against, you know, safety risks, right? So you want to make sure that they're safe, but you also want to make sure that you're getting these drugs quickly. And if it takes five to seven to 10 years to get a drug all the way through and get the overall survival data, uh, how many people may pass away that could have benefited from this drug? So you're seeing a little bit of a shift uh, at the FDA and at global regulators to, to consider using other surrogate endpoints, such as overall response rate, especially in hard to treat, tough to treat patient populations uh, where there aren't a lot of other treatment options. So, you know, we're throwing a lot of caveats in, in all of these, you know, we're talking today, but yet that's another thing to take with a grain of salt. The fact that it is overall response rate, uh, not progression-free survival or overall survival, which obviously we would like to see better. That being said, you had a 78% uh, overall response rate uh, with TJ, TG1101 used alongside Imbravica, and Imbravica alone only delivered a 45% response rate. Uh, there was also complete responders in the two-drug combination, where in the Imbravica group, uh, I don't believe there were any. Exactly. And so uh, going back to the, the macro picture here of whether or not ORR is an acceptable endpoint, on Friday, the director of the FDA's Oncology Center of Excellence made a blog post basically saying that 
it's okay to use these surrogate endpoints. And so now when you look at the data that TG reported, they're now hoping for an accelerated timeline to FDA approval based on the data set that they have. And I would say given the trend, the way that the FDA has been leaning, it, it looks promising. Again, early stage, but promising. Yeah. And the other thing that was interesting at ASCO, uh, they also updated investors on the use of a triplet combination uh, therapy that includes Imbrovica and includes TG1101 plus another drug. Um, it was a it was a very small phase one, six patients, no big, not a lot of people, um, but, you know, 100% overall response rate. So it's possible that not only does TG uh, Therapeutics have this first drug that could get on the market and, and do pretty well as part of a doublet um, therapy, but it also has potential triplet further back. Um, you know, obviously the devil will always be in the detail. We have no idea uh, whether or not, you know, future trial results will p play out the way that, that they have here in the past. Uh, if if they do, then you pretend potentially you know you've got a new standard of care within uh, these patients with these these uh, tougher to treat mutations. Exactly. So last company that we want to discuss today is called Loxo Oncology. Their ticker is L O X O. And so we know that the future of oncology is going to rely on gene sequencing. And Loxo's pipeline is entirely devoted to treating cancers with specific genetic mutations. And that's as compared to treating tumors like we often do now, which is dependent on their site of origin. So a little bit of, uh, of a side note before we get into Loxo, I wanted to mention Merck's Keytruda, which is a drug that we have talked about on the show before. And pretty recently, they received an approval for all patients with a certain biomarker, which was a really big deal because this is the first time that a drug was approved based on the genetic information uh, of the patient as opposed to looking at the site of origin of the tumor. And so now when you look at what Loxo is doing, seeing what happened just recently with Merck's Keytruda makes this a lot more uh, promising sounding to me, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to, you, you may you may not be, end up saying in the future, oh, I got diagnosed with breast cancer, right? You, say, you may say, I got diagnosed with TRK fusion cancer, right? Um, essentially, what we are talking about with Loxo is we're talking about uh, a drug that, again, I'm going to butch this. Lerotrectinib. We're going to call this one Lero. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it Lero for short. Nice, nice friendly name for us. Um, that is putting up some pretty, again, interesting overall response rates uh, in solid tumor cancers. You know, you've got 12 different types of cancer um, that were evaluated in this, in this, the phase one and phase two trials that they presented at ASCO, and that cut across breast cancer and colorectal cancer and lung cancer, melanoma patients, pancreatic cancer patients. But they all shared one thing in common, and that's that there was an abnormality um, in some cells that are used for communica the communication pathway between cells. And, and what they've discovered is that when you get these TRK fusions, where TRK fuses with something it's not supposed to, it can cause uh, cancer growth or tumor growth. So as you mentioned, Christine, you're now looking not at saying, okay, is this a breast cancer patient or pancreatic cancer patient? You're saying, okay, is this a TRK fusion patient? And, you know, granted, this is not a huge patient population. I mean, the, the company estimates that it, the addressable uh, market annually is about 1,500 to 5,000 patients 
um, that, that could benefit from this drug. But in the trial, the overall response rate, or the, I'm sorry, I should say the objective response rate uh, was 76%. And there were 12, um, 12% of patients had a complete response rate to, to, the, to the drug. So and when you look at those numbers and you compare it to, say, take Keytruda, Keytruda's approval came from not even as strong numbers. And of course, it, this was not a head-to-head -head trial of Keytruda versus Laro, but it is, these are the types of numbers that have worked previously to get approval from the FDA. Right. I think Keytruda's was uh, something like 40 percent. Yep, yeah, they had 40 percent OR and 7 percent CRR. And, and that was in a larger patient pool. And the indication was slightly different. So you would think that there would be lower numbers for Keytruda. But still, th these numbers that uh, that the company Loxo has posted are, are good. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting, and we talked about this earlier, right? We got we, you got to balance safety. You got to include safety. And I think it's encouraging that 93 percent of the patients uh, who, who respond to the drug remain on the drug. Um, so, you know, you, you've got a situation or, or a drug that seems to be effective, um, that many people are staying on it, and no patients, I think, got off the drug uh, because of adverse events. Um, so that suggests that the, that the precision part of this medicine uh, is reducing some of the, say, side effects that maybe you saw in, in previous generation cancer drugs, like, you know, old chemotherapies. Um, that would cause people, you know, to wonder whether or not the treatment was worse than the disease, if you will. Exactly. So you think about it from a patient perspective, and that's really a wonderful thing. So going forward for this company, they're waiting on the complete study results and an independent review that'll be performed in the second half of this year and hopefully announced by the end of this year. Honestly, I would not be surprised if a stock offering was right around the corner. The stock pops, what, like 50% due to this news. So it could be a pretty advantageous time for them to take advantage of that share price pop. But they're relatively well-funded, so maybe maybe they, it won't be necessary. But either way, this stock definitely has a long way to go if, uh, if things continue to go their way. Right. And then the big ifs, right? So uh, again, we don't know how the final data will, what the final data will look like. We don't know how the FDA will, will think of this drug, uh, if, if, it, if they'll process it on the accelerated pathway or not. Um, but, you know, if they can get a filing to the FDA later this year or early in 2018, you know, you're talking, you know, depending on if they get priority review or not, six to 10 months later, you'd have a decision. So this this drug could be on the market generating out some revenue from this company as early as 2019. So when you're going in, you're looking at the um, the cash burn rate of this company and, and trying to figure out whether or not they'll have to raise cash. Bear that in mind that the soonest that they'll be able to get any commercial revenue from this drug would probably be something like late 2018, uh, early 2019. Right. And that's kind of the case with most companies that are presenting at ASCO, where they are not even on the market yet. And so you do want to always keep an eye on that cash burn to see whether they're going to be able to continue their trials and keep the lights on. Partnerships like the one that Bluebird has with Juno or with uh, Celgene are huge because they can provide this external source of funding. Um, in order to continue the trials, plus you know the expertise, the vote of confidence, that's always something that I like to see. But with each of these companies, you you can really see the wave of the future of healthcare, where combination therapies and personalized medicine are truly set to to take over and do a lot of good in the field of medicine. You know, I was reading recently, Christine, that the we're adding an additional three months of life expectancy for every year at this point. 
And, you know, some of the futurists out there are predicting that sometime in the 2030s, because of advances in things like, you know, addressing the genetic code and the causes of cancer, we may be able to add one year for every year. Um, it's just, it's a remarkable time to be paying attention to, you know, healthcare and medicine without a doubt. Yeah, I don't know about you, but that right there is why I love doing this coverage. Yeah, I mean, because it, it you truly start to see what kind of an impact beyond simply the dollars and the cents side of things that we look at as from an investing standpoint, the impact on people and families that these medicines might have. Yeah, it's truly incredible. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks so much for listening, and Fool on! Thank you.